What's up, Dune fans? Welcome back to the Dune Not Enter podcast, where today, the one who came to study spice has become one with the spice. I'm your host, Humphrey Shu, and joining me are my friends and co-hosts, Fillmore John. Is that you, father? And Nolan Zhang. Son, did you know that the presence of moisture in the air helps prevent too rapid evaporation from living bodies? Shut up, old man. man. Well, (laughs) yeah, on that note, well, you know, we're going to see an old man coming out today and we'll, well, let me rephrase, we won't actually get to see him, but he will be ever present in our thoughts. So today we'll be going over chapter 30 of uh, our book Dune here. And um, before we jump into all the great discussion, this will probably be on the longer side of episodes. How have y'all's weeks been? Um, my week well i have a new computer that i'm recording on now so i'm really excited to it feels nice guys what did you end up naming it it's an upgrade um i actually haven't named it yet but i'm looking at baguette baguette (laughs) how basic yeah i know but like it's cute you know you should just call it chromium yeah chromium Chromium. oh yeah that's true chromium is a browser so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know yet. I'm still looking, but if any of y'all listeners have any name suggestions, you know, please let us know. Yeah. I'm just saying. Honestly, I, you should just name it Atreides. True. Uh, <laughs> no. It, I don't want to die, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want it to die. Well, I mean, Paul has survived. Like, that means half of it will die because Leto died. I get this sad face a little too often, guys. <laughs> yeah. Actually, well, I got a sad funny. face today because I think it overheated oh. while I was in tablet mode. Oh, you got the B sod. Yeah. Blue screen of death. That's never good. <laughs> How did it overheat uh-huh. in tablet mode? Is it, what were you running on it? Five different games. No, I was just two. watching League of Legends esports, guys. Oh, I was just like, oh, oh my god. Oh, okay. well, then now yeah. it's obvious. It's League of Legends. Obviously, it's that's League gonna of happen. Legends, yeah. Guys. yeah. Your I'm computer sorry. cringed at League of Legends and then turned yeah. itself I know. off. It just, yeah. The fans just stopped blowing and it's like ripped. Because they're like, go touch grass now. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. It was a warning. Never has a League player touched grass ever. Except for dabs. Yeah, except for dabs. Except yeah. for dabs, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Anyways, cool. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, is it running better? Faster? It is a lot faster than any of the other computers I've used. The only problem is my internet, because I was trying to play League yesterday, but then I had like 300 pings, so I just couldn't play, guys. Oh, no. yeah. yeah. That's too relatable. Yeah, 300 ping hmm. moment. Yeah. It is very relatable, indeed. Alrighty, cool. Well, yeah, so that's that's really exciting. Hopefully, uh, our podcast will be higher quality now with Nolan's, you know, increased frame rate. But, um, <laughs> For but sure. yeah, so uh, Nolan, I'll let you take it away with the epigraph. Okay, so today's epigraph reads, the, This Fremen religious adaptation is the source of what we now recognize as the pillars of the universe, whose Kizara Tafweed, are among us all with signs and proofs and prophecy. They bring us to Eriki mystical fusion, whose profound beauty is typified or typified by the stirring music built on the old forms. But stamped with a new awakening, who has not heard and been deeply moved by the old man's hymn? I drove my feet through a desert, whose mirage fluttered like a host, voracious for glory, greedy for danger, I roamed the horizons of Alcolab, watching time-level mountains in its search and in its hunger for me, I saw, and I saw the sparrows swiftly approach. Bordered in the onrushing wolf, you spread in the free of my youth. I heard the flock in my branches and was caught in their beaks and claws from Arrakis awakening by the Princess Arrow Land. Interesting. Okay, that was... What yeah, a long and, epigraph. And Yeah, another long it, epigraph. And also, it's... You it's know, really it's, long. It's mainly... Half of it's a poem. 
Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I was. It's 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 a definitely like it's weird. So <laughs> I mean, not weird in a bad way, but weird in like it's interesting, you know. Yeah. So mostly, I think this epigraph, I noted mostly importantly the fragment and the religion, which kind of reminds me of religious syncretism, which I kind of learned in Human Geo AP in ninth grade. Yeah. I'm just kind of confused though on like why Princess Ireland cites it as. The pillars of the universe, because I don't really understand why mixing religions becomes like the support. You're right. I like I don't understand, but maybe it's because like when you mix everything together in the far future, it maybe unifies everyone. Because then they're like we can relate, you know, instead of like ripping humanity apart. Yeah. Um. As for the old man's hymn, I I read it and I just like it's supposed to be a hymn which has a religious connotation to it, right? Uh-huh, right. But now, like when I read it, it doesn't feel very religious. See, like there's no single deity involved mm-hmm. however if there is like any type of like religious feel to it it may just be like the description of nature and the passing of time on arrakis which like if you consider arrakis like its own deity and then possibly it's like a it's like religious kind of i'm not sure mm. yeah it's really interesting like there's no clear landmark or symbol or deity as you said um i mean hmm. there is some like islamic language but uh like al-kalab kind of sounds you know islamic but i just googled it and there's you know no references to it so it's not really anything of this <laughs> world not like some previous epigraphs or previous passages that we've seen that you know clearly pulled from is islamic text or, or yeah. christian, christian text right so yeah but i mean i can't really interpret this poem um of course our our character here is traveling through the desert and you know he starts out very kind of uh, like it says here voracious to glory greedy for danger he's you know very confident and proud and then and then you know sparrows come and it's just this kind of bad omen you know kind of a bad symbol and uh mm-hmm. and yeah and I, I heard the flock in my branches and was caught on their beaks and claws it's kind of symbolizes uh, in my opinion it's kind of like fate a little bit you know wait actually yeah speaking of this it kind of reminds me of the sim uh, the metaphor, the symbolism that we saw a couple of chapters ago, mm-hmm. maybe like just last chapter where like the bird flew down and like snatched. Yeah, up the ghostly the gray bird. The yeah, the, yeah, the mouse. And also this this chapter with the crow. I mean the yeah the the, the birds coming down right the hawks. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah. Yeah, so. and like the carrion birds and stuff. Yeah, it just yeah. seems all like bad omens. So it's really, <laughs> really that, interesting guys. poem. Um. Yeah. So. I think we can keep this one in mind. Maybe it's uh, alluding to to some person, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, it it almost seems a little bit like Kynes' predicament in this chapter. Uh, but mm-hmm. that that's also kind of a stretch. It's not a direct match, but something we can keep in mind. Yeah. Yep. All right. Really cool epigraph. Um. Yeah. So before we start, let's uh, do our quote section. So we'll pull our three favorite quotes. So Fillmore, uh, what's your quote for this week? Okay. As for my quote, I chose. Men and their works have been a disease on the surface of their planet before now, his father said. Nature tends to compensate for diseases, to remove or encapsulate them, or incorporate them into the system in her own way. Yeah, this seems a lot like Tolkien ideology, but I'll get to that when we um, Mm -hmm. discuss this quote. Uh, I picked, the real wealth of a planet is in its landscape, how we take part in that basic source of civilization, agriculture. (laughs) Agriculture. I know, it's so simple, but it's so... Um, it's so true Mm -hmm. yeah okay so my quote it goes we must use men as a constructive ecological force inserting adapted terraform life 
a plant here, an animal there, a man in that place. She transformed the water cycle to build a new kind of landscape. Yeah. So basically, kinds is plan. Yes, but um, I, this is from the father who said it, and yeah, right, right, touch right. That more when we go when we get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Alrighty. Yeah. So, all right. Very cool quotes, but uh, also another really cool chapter. So let me uh, start off this uh, discussion. So this is another chapter, as I said, that we'll be reading a lot from because um, there's a lot of description and ecological stuff to discuss that we found really interesting. So we'll be pulling a lot from the text and discussing the text a lot more than usual. Um, So this chapter, we begin in the point of view of Liet Kynes, who's been tossed under the desert without a still suit, and he's been left for the worms. He's just left to die. And I'll read this opening description, which is really quite saddening and foreshadows the end of this chapter. Oh, no. Yeah. The man crawled across the dune top. He was a moat caught in the glare of the noon sun. He was dressed only in torn remnants of a jubba cloak. His, scare bare, his skin bare to the heat through the tatters. The hood had been ripped from the cloak, but the man had fashioned a turban from a torn strip of cloth. Wisps of sandy hair protruded from it, matched by a sparse beard and thick brows. Beneath the blue within blue eyes, remains of a dark stain spread down his cheeks. A matted depression across mustache and beard showed where a still suit tube had marked out its path from nose to catch pockets. The man stopped half across the dune crest, arms stretched down the slip face. Blood had clotted on his back and on his arms and legs. Patches of yellow-gray sand clung to the wounds. Slowly, he brought his hands under him, pushed himself to his feet, stood there swaying. And even in this almost random action, there remained a trace of once precise movement. I am Liet Kynes, he said, addressing himself to the empty horizon, and his voice was a hoarse caricature of the strength that had shown. I am his Imperial Majesty's planetologist, he whispered. Planetary ecologist for Arrakis, I am steward of this land. He stumbled, fell sideways along the crusty surface of the windward face. His hand, dug, his hands dug feebly into the sand. No, no. yeah, so that, yeah, it really is a no moment. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, no, yeah. Best boy Kinds is about to kick the bucket. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to see his dream come into fruition yeah i really wanted him to see it yeah too. yeah but the situation is not looking good for him at all Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i just really don't understand why kinds right now has been degraded from his former position of authority where everyone just really respected him but like i guess even in a way the only thing that's redeeming about this position is that despite his exhaustion kinds kind of still retains some of the resemblance of like thought and sanity that we've always respected about him because for us, I can't say we do the same when we're in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if he's still sane, but definitely as the text says, he still has this once precise movement. And I mean, I feel he's so delirious that he comes off kind of sane, at least the ideas. Because <laughs> he's yeah. arguing with himself, you know, with his father, but he's really arguing with himself. And uh, mm-hmm. some of that, you know, he could still form coherent thoughts. It's just he's in such a state <laughs> like of delirium. That. He doesn't realize that, you know, he's split into yeah. two personalities. Yeah um so that's you know it's it's such a it's such a depressing start to the chapter and it shows the massive fall from grace that kinds has had and i recall that the baron intended to poison kinds and it didn't seem to have succeeded right um he's not dead obviously he's not dying of food poisoning yeah but he's delirious and heat exhaustion in the desert which is essentially death he's without water without still suit without aid and caught on a on a blow right right about to happen it's the worst way to die in iraq it's one of the Really. Yeah. And on that note, you gotta stay hydrated, guys. It's better to just drink the water 
instead of rationing it. And because mm-hmm. there's been many cases of hikers with plenty of water dying from dehydration just because they ration their water way too much. Mm-hmm. But I guess yeah. in Kind's case, he just can't do anything. Yeah, true. He I just mean... has no water. <laughs> yeah, he just ain't got any water. <laughs> I mean, he he's not thrown out. He did say that he could dig himself under the under the sand and stuff. But I mean, at this day, he's already. But how long? Is yeah, that's last? just prolonging yeah. death. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, he's just trying to hold out the hope, but still, I mean, it's an animal's nature to try to survive, given no matter what. But still, you know, in this case, I mean, truly, just, the only yeah. thing that can save him now is the fremen, and even then, the fremen needs extra equipment on them, and they need to realize who Kynes is and have to be willing to take him in. And we've seen that like it's a little difficult for the fremen to do that because they're very objective on how they look at things. So if you're dying, they're probably gonna let you die because and they don't want to sacrifice water. themselves. And they want to take right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's you know, yeah, they they are very pragmatic people. I think survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. Hi, right. not me. I'm not gonna die for you. <laughs> right. Uh huh. So I think, yeah, it's also like kind of hard because Kynes, unless he's able to be recognized at this point, mm-hmm. and we don't know how extensive Kynes' is, like influence is among all the fremen teachers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Like, he better be lucky and not run into the right people at the right time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'll, I'll just keep rooting a little bit because, I mean, we were already discussing it, so might as well just continue. So he realized that he was semi-delirious, that he should dig himself into the sand, find the relatively cool underlayer, and cover himself with it. But he could still smell the rank, semi-sweet esters of a pre-spice pocket somewhere underneath this sand. He knew the peril within this fact more certainly than any other Fremen. If he could smell the pre-spice mass, that meant the gases deep under the sand were nearing explosive pressure. He had to get away from here. His hands made weak, scrabbling motions along the dune face. A thought spread across his mind, clear, distinct. The real wealth of a planet is in its landscape. How we take part in that basic source of civilization, agriculture. Yeah, so oh. that's just previewing my quote, but <laughs> right. Yeah. But there's there's a Please lot of imagery in this chapter and mm. that gives a lot of information that could potentially be used by Paul in the future, but right now it's just kind of unclear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, I kind of find it crazy how spice actually builds up gas from whatever chemical reaction is undergoing underground. Because like it's definitely not your average piece of sand out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. it sort of reminds me of like the methane yeah. buildup. Where it just like explodes at some point. <laughs> gas, yeah, I don't know, gas leak. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I I watched this video where like a lake filled with methane gas exploded, and, like every like everything within five miles like suffocated oh, to death God. or something. I don't really, know. I need. Yeah. To, oh wow, I'll have to Google that. That's insane. Yeah, I don't oh. know if it was methane gas though, but there was like some lake that exploded. Oh jeez, wow. Ex- Be careful of gases, kids. Yeah, yeah you don't know. What they're they not very it. safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always waft. Mm-hmm. Don't stick your nose in the uh, <laughs> on the waft. test tube. Yeah, <laughs> That's... Well, I'm such a bad like person at doing that. Like, I've stuck my nose in so many like old science things. Yeah, you like, told us about like... that. <laughs> and then like, I was why like, why didn't like... you waft it? <laughs> yeah, I was like, you... guys, my nose kind of stings a little. I was like, wait. <laughs> oh, I wonder this? why. <laughs> yeah, Nolan would fail a safety quiz. Yeah, I know. I was like, what is this green stuff at the bottom of the beaker? Yeah, the only person out here failing safety quizzes. Oh my. 
Jeez, they're okay, free hundreds for everyone but Nolan. This year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is don't forge your safety contract, Nolan. <laughs> so, anyway, so we're introduced to some basic Fremen ecological knowledge that there's a cool underlayer under the sand that you could cover yourself with to escape from the heat, like as we talked about. And we also know about this ticking time bomb below him, a spice bomb, which is looking to explode. But lastly, again, we reached my quote for the week, which I'll read again. The real wealth of a planet is in its landscape, how we take part in that basic source of civilization, agriculture. So it's especially potent in this situation because even in his delirious and near-death state, Kynes hasn't forgotten his mission to terraform Arrakis into a paradise. And it's also a really true statement given the ecological concerns for the Earth in recent years. And agriculture, you know, is more important than ever nowadays uh, just to, you know, yeah, keep, that, keep, keep the cycle of life going. And what the Earth has to give really is in the form of life, right? Right, because agriculture has always been an essential part of human history. Like before the agricultural revolution, like 12,000 years ago, most mm-hmm. humans didn't have access to a consistent source of food. And once mankind learned farming techniques, we began to innovate, which rapidly made our species more intelligent. And <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why Kynes was betting so hard on terraforming Arrakis. Because once they're able to get to this level of innovation, they would be practically unstoppable and they would chase away the Harkonnens from the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we really see just in his dying moments here, we see the hope for a future where like someone wouldn't be able to just like die because they don't have their clothes on them when they don't have a steel suit on or because like they're unprotected without water, right? Like mm-hmm. Kynes is right that agriculture is how humans have harnessed like the planet's natural resources to achieve further advancements. To kinds kind of like terraforming Arrakis means a lot more than just like getting green plants. It's like the creation of a new hospitable world where there will be like no more squabble over natural resources anymore. They can like retain some of their humanity in a way and dignity instead of doing things purely based on survival. Like we've been talking about the Fremen. Agriculture to kinds is just like humanity, right? They can imbue Fremen with like the need to like not kill people anymore based on like water. I think that's like the most important mm-hmm. part to kinds. Yeah, it represents right. a hope, you know, some way out for them. Um, some, you know, better <laughs> alternative to their current way of life that, you know, it really is paradise-like. And, you know, I say this as I take a sip from my water, but... But, yeah, I mean, we do forget how, how precious water is. I'm and thirsty, man, yeah, guys. <laughs> I know, just reading, this makes me thirsty because yeah, they, they, you know, prioritize water so much. And, yeah, it's kind right, of sad but... to see. And also, it's we can't fully understand it either. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we don't live in a desert. If we lived in like the Sahara, like we may be able to somewhat relate, but we don't. Yeah, we don't live yeah. in a place where clean water is scarce, and mm-hmm. yeah. So, mm-hmm. also, I think when like kinds, we get like who threw kinds out into the desert. We we get the Harkonnen troopers, right? Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. I was just wondering, was it only the Harkonnen troopers? Because I know there was Sardaukar mixed in, but then like, does the Sardaukar know? Because if Kynes starts to Imperium directly, I just feel like maybe the Sardaukar may have objected to just like killing off Kynes in such an inhumane manner, especially how we saw how the, the Emperor wanted to like, got so mad about like how his, how like, maybe, it, well, I know Leto's different because he's royalty, but I still feel like he might be upset if like someone that was so high up like Kynes got like killed in just like a useless manner like this. So I feel like maybe Kynes may have like, got an alternative route if he had found Sardaukar instead of a Harkonnens, but I guess he wasn't lucky enough to find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm. believe so too. Uh, mainly, if you remember, the Sardaukar didn't want the Harkonnens to access 
kinds. Um, I don't remember what yeah. that was, but that was when he was talking to Raban, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, I remember they like they didn't. Yeah, they they, they like, staged a diversion. Yeah, they staged a diversion, and then the Baron got some private time with kinds, and look what happened. So I don't think, I don't think um, the Sardaukar would have done anything of the sort. It probably would have just turned him in back into the Emperor. Right, it. and you saw what, how angry they were with Leto's death because it set a bad example yeah. for the royalty. They were incredibly frustrated, and Kynes is—he's not royalty, but he's a very you know yeah, he's a, in, he's the, important. in the bureaucracy. Yeah. yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, this type of death—it's—it's it's even worse than Leto's, in my opinion. At least Leto, you can kind it of brush like it off as suicide, and this just totally humiliation. You know, he's just Kynes has been stripped of everything that he has. And he's dead, right? At least Leto still had some, you know, form of revenge or, or so, right? At least he, he killed died Pitter. Wiping yeah. out Pitter. Yeah, so but you know, Kynes literally got nothing and just because the, the nature of it. Yeah. It's it's really yeah, dehumanizing. Yeah. I read this and I was just like, Oh man, like this is not a good way to go. Like yeah. There's nothing. No, this is definitely this. one of the worst ways to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of in continuation, I love how Kynes is still, even in his dying moments, he's still so dedicated to his. And I wanted to know this possessive his. Um, it's his planet, even though it's the, his worst enemy at this point, right? Because he's about <laughs> to die to this heat exhaustion, which makes the Harkin and Punishment much more cruel. And they know Kynes' goal, and they kind of twist it in the opposite direction. He's trying to save this planet, but the planet ends up being the one that kills him. Right, so yeah. it's, it's really ugly how the Harkonnens do it. They take this, they derive this evil pleasure, I think, from from that. Yeah, it's pretty ironic in some way, some twisted way. But you still, I feel like you still gotta respect it because Kain's dedication is at its finest. Right. Like, even if it kills him, he still loves the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I respect <laughs> that definitely. Oh, God, yeah, scary. actually, actually, that was a pretty good catch because I didn't notice that you pointed like the him's part out so i just thought it was pretty cool but i kind of disagree with what you said about the harkonnens knowing mm -hmm. the end of the end plan of kinds because i feel like kinds even in this state like where yeah i guess maybe he is delirious and maybe he's like falling apart but i feel like he wouldn't have leaked to them the secret projects that the fremen have been working on and conducting behind the harkonnens back especially to the people who still view the fremen as like uneducated tribesmen of the desert that's how i see it potentially but also kinds wasn't super careful about hiding his plans you know he was discussing it pretty openly with Leto and paul and discussing it at the dinner party and stuff like that it's and, true and, you know there's harkin and spies kind of everywhere so i feel like something might have gone out but you're you might be right yeah right i mean I then again i just think the baron knows a lot of things and he, he might misinterpret stuff like the fremen being weak but uh, he mm -hmm. he knows he has a, a massive trove of information is my is my idea but i don't know yeah, um, yeah that, that's really interesting too yeah but i mean there's carry-on birds over kinds already i mean these birds are brutal just a just a minor foreshadowing <laughs> already you know, there. That, that no matter what kinds will be dead soon and these birds when birds show up so far it's never been good um and kinds holds out hope that his fremen will see the birds and come investigate but it's just a delirious man's hope yeah yeah like i was walking down the sidewalk one day and I saw some roadkill with vultures all around it, and I can yeah. definitely tell you, sight. And not to mention, the smell was pretty terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Can you go close enough to smell it, bro? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's close. like it's it was a hot day, so the smell kind of like wafts around. True. Like even if oh. you're not that close to it, you can still smell it. Oh Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just I know. Um, I think mammals have some built-in, you know, thing that 
to identify the smell of death and you know just right. makes you want to get away from that yeah yeah i think humans recoil whenever they smell it yeah and i don't to know how, how death smells and i'm not interested but smells like the worst garbage. Yeah, yeah i've never done it mm-hmm. i mean to me these carry-on birds reminds me of like ice age when i watched it where like the world is just like ending right everything is like breaking apart they're all gonna die and then you like migrate and like the only animals are happy with the like ongoing extinction of the rest of the planet are just like the scavenging carrion birds just watching over them to die on their migration oh that's how it reminds me of that's very nasty yeah <laughs> it's a pretty like it's a pretty like childish and like fun movie but like the yeah. carrion birds it has like... some pretty dark topics <laughs> in it mm-hmm. indeed it <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know but i mean in, in kinds of dying moments his motivations and ideas are shown by through the delusion of his father, I suppose. So he's kind of at this point split into two personalities and uh, he, mm-hmm. he is arguing with himself in the form of his father. But unfortunately now there's no one for him to pass his ecological expertise and goals down to. Um, Paul must now step in and fill his shoes, especially if he's going to join the Fremen. And especially when his father says, you know, you must cultivate ecological literacy among the people. It's solely true because before being able to act, the people of Arrakis must be as dedicated to the planet as Kynes was. And, I also like the use of the word cultivated here because it's almost like he's growing this ecological literacy like it's vegetation, right? So cultivated is <laughs> yeah. a, a very uh, uh, agricultural word, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But at least, at least, like, I feel like when Kynes accepted Paul as his Muad'Dib, he also entrusted him with his dream of terraforming Arrakis. Like, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't directly said, but I think it's kind of implied. And also since... Paul already has knowledge of lush plants and how to take care of them because, well, he was on Caladan and we know that Caladan was actually quite close to Earth, mm-hmm. like yeah. in terms of vegetation. But right. I think mm-hmm. that, so I think that he would be able to b- explain certain ecological aspects pretty well. Of course, nowhere as near as kinds, but mm-hmm. at least he has some experience with plants, unlike most Fremen. That's true. That's true. Well, here's the thing though. I think while Paul does have like the talent and while he does have like the ability to, I do wonder though, like the dream of terraforming Arrakis, is it going to be carried out by Paul? Because I remember like back at like several, like maybe like, I don't know, some chapters ago it was mentioned that the Fremen would be nowhere as strong as they currently are if they didn't live in such a harsh environment like Arrakis. Because I think it was like theory crafted by Pitta or something that Arrakis like could also develop zealous warriors just like Gedi Prime for the Sardar card because of the extreme conditions. And that's why the Baron really one is something like a prison planet like Skiddy Prime. So just like, I don't know, here as readers, it's just like, I'm just wondering like, is it because like Paul is there to like save them or is it like because like Paul will give in to the fact that like he wants more warriors to get revenge on the Harkonnens? I can't really tell at this point. Well, I think he will want the warriors obviously, but he needs these warriors for revenge, quote unquote revenge. But the thing is like, I don't really... It's going to be a process where once he gets their help, he will go back and save them once he has the power to do so. But okay, yeah, I, I think after. he's doing it out of revenge, out of currently. Because he, he will pay off his debts as like a, a duke, I guess. Although he I doesn't really have a duke should. name right now. Yeah, or maybe as like a higher position or something. Right. Yeah, true. Wait, does that mean like Paul eventually inherited the title of duke? So we'll be calling him like Duke like Paul or something like that? Probably. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, but we already know that Paul's aiming for the throne, so 
We should yeah. already be calling him Duke Paul. It's just the book doesn't refer to him as that too much. <laughs> yeah, it will probably be called oh. Emperor Paul eventually. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you want to get that far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Let's not usurp everyone at this point. <laughs> <laughs> He's just rising the ranks, huh? Yeah. Oh. Corporate ladder. <laughs> yeah. Not even okay, corporate so... ladder. He like pulls off a freaking coup d'état and then he just takes over CEO. <laughs> President <laughs> yeah. Paul. CEO of the Imperium. Okay. Paul Atreides. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So we catch a glimpse here in this chapter of how the worms are kind of related to the spice in this chapter, especially when Kynes describes it, because we know that the worms are referred to like as makers by the Fremen, and then Kynes describes the little makers as losing some of their water into the pre-spice mass. So this is like a little bit interesting because he also describes the little makers as like half plant and half animal little makers, which I find perplexing because I don't really understand how one animal could be both like plant and animal with the characteristics it's like the only real world example i can think of is this little like chinese like i think they call it cordyceps i'm not really sure that's how you pronounce it but what like about like venus flytraps well I, but like they're still mostly like yeah they're mostly plant plants, that's right? fair right yeah that's fair so like a cordyceps is just like this is like this caterpillar and it's like this fungus growing as a parasite on the larvae and like it's just sticking out of its head you know which i guess it is and like the chinese are just like Use as medicine. That's like the only thing I could think of. But fun- like, fungus oh, isn't a plant, right? Fungus is I a completely not, different yeah. genus. <laughs> it's not even a plant. It's yeah, a, you're yeah, right, it's guys. Kind of a different <laughs> but uh, the the idea is there. Yeah, I mean, half yeah. plant, half animal is kind of interesting. Mainly the biological difference, of course, the cell structure. You know, right? Plants have a solid cell wall, and and animals have a, a flexible cell wall. Um, so the, even the cell, my, mitochondria like is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. our. That's our bi- I heard apparently that's fake. Oh what? Apparently what? that's not true, but I don't remember. Like yes, apparently yeah, it's not technically true. No way, my life is a lie. But I don't know. <laughs> don't don't, don't, don't take my word. Go Google it after. <laughs> go, we'll go Google it after. You did you did biology research. Yeah, but I don't do biology research here. So we gotta area. consult the all powerful. I, I do I do neuroscience. Yeah. But <laughs> not even most you know. Anyways, so I I, I still need to brush up on my biology. That's why I'm taking the class now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, cool. Yeah. So. Right, so that's really interesting about the cordyceps, and I've never heard of that plant before. I'll have to go look that up. But I suppose the spice is formed beneath the surface, and when mm-hmm. these spice deposits blow from the carbon dioxide buildup, it's brought to the surface, right? And it's still not super clear how the spice is formed, but however, we just now understand the process of how it kind of brings itself up to the surface. So it's a mm-hmm. cycle, I suppose. It swaps positions. Yeah. Just like, boom. And it that's so back, interesting. I yeah, I know. It's I, I don't... You know, how how often is it that materials underground are brought up to the surface through explosions? And yeah, I, think that I mean, never the, happens uh-huh. in our world, right? I mean, volcanoes, but that's like that's about true. it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Geysers, maybe? Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's that violent. violent. Oh. But volcanoes are violent. I don't know about Oh, geysers. they're very violent. Geysers depend. Like, depends on the geyser. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's some, true. aren't the Yellowstone ones super violent? Apparently, they're, like, if the Yellowstone one blew up, well. it would, like, take out half the U.S. or something. Wait, really? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, though. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go look at it. Wow, there's so many things to look up. Yeah, I'm excited. There we go. Yeah, we love science out here. Yeah. The weird information we know. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's just a, a synthesis of information, indeed. That's, uh, that's what makes this show interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we get to my quote for today, which is from Kynes' father. So it says, we must use man as a constructive ecological force, inserting adapted terraform life 
a plant here, an animal there, a man in that place to transform that water cycle to build a new kind of landscape. So when I read this, it just kind of reminded me of Herbert's background as an ecologist, really. And we truly get just like the feeling of Dune's theme, right? Of like sustainability, resource conservation, and caring for the planet. So I guess like when I read this, it was just like Herbert maybe projecting what his hope for the world is to just like fostering a world where humans can actually be used to build up rather than destroy the planet that we inhabit. Mm-hmm. Which is like, I don't know, just, just like for Arrakis to change it and enhance like in this barren world, right? Into like a land of prosperous life. But to me, it just seems kind of like a pipe dream almost where like humans would not fall. Like they will always fall into like their short-term greed for power and wealth. And instead, like, I guess like in my eyes, they don't, they would never prioritize the environment because to do that, you have to think of like future generations and then like think of the future, which is like, if I'm not alive now, like, come on guys, like, let's be honest. Like, would it really matter if I'm not alive now? Mm-hmm. I think Most just, like, people are pretty selfish. Shows, like, selfish. Yeah, it just shows like selfish. the, like the <laughs> short-termness of like human thought. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't care too much to avoid that. So just like throughout history, we've also seen that happen already. Like mankind disappointed us all by like, <laughs> by like just like ignoring ecological disasters and like ecological consequences in the in favor of like wealth and just like greater power you know yeah that's so the industrial revolution for you yeah i mean it's inspiring but the situation this quote is presented it is rather ironic because it's a dead man's dream and we don't know if this dream yeah. has been passed on to paul i mean we're hoping and likely has because i feel like that's kind of the purpose of this book given that herbert was a ecologist himself right but that scene in the abandoned testing station that we saw makes me believe that Paul has adopted this plan of terraforming Arrakis because he made that deal with Kynes. Um, I don't quite remember yeah. exactly what the deal was, but um, but yeah, so he said, you know, oh, if we're ascending to the throne, I can easily make this happen, right? Or something like that. Right, but, he'll have the power <laughs> and money to do so. Yeah, but if Paul isn't prioritizing that and he just kind of looks after his own self-interest like all of the other people do, then it really is a dead man's dream. The idea just kind of ends here and it's really quite sad. My opinion mm-hmm. of that. I do hope that Paul yeah. will have time, but you know, when he's emperor, time is not his. You know, is not his friend. He'll have a lot of things to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, he'll, he'll be, be short on time. Yeah, uh-huh. just like us. But I mean, so far, what we yeah. can see is Paul. You know, he can process a lot of information very quickly. He's in his meditative kind of state or whatever when he's consumed too much spice and he thinks up five <laughs> hours worth of things in three seconds or so. Um, I wish. Yeah, and that's Paul for you. Yeah, it's, it's our <laughs> OP favorite protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I didn't really notice this until now, but they refer to the worms as a big maker, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, but it is. We, but we also learned what the hooks were, or what, what the hooks were for from the last chapter. Mm-hmm, yeah. And my theory was somewhat correct. And so basically what the hooks are used for is to, well, to hook onto the worms and mm-hmm. to travel to different places which I guess isn't too far off from like grappling hook theory. Yep, not too far off. Yeah, basically they grab on and then they climb. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like when I read it though, and like I know what the hooks are for now, I'm still pretty shocked because like I cannot imagine the process of like a Fremen like getting the hook onto the worm in the first place and then like climbing on and mounting it and then like using it as some type of ride, you know? Mm-hmm. I just find it absolutely crazy that the Fremen have learned to ride humongous sandworms like who taught them this, guys? Like, this is not okay. Like, who was the first friend to try to do this and actually succeed? I was like, oh my gosh, guys, I could actually <laughs> steer these guys. Yo, guess Probably. what I did today, you know? 
I <laughs> yeah. jumped on the Explore. back of a sandworm. Yeah, so that's almost got eaten twice. Yeah, but <laughs> but I made it. Yeah, only got five of my legs broken and three of my. And one, I lost two of my fingers <laughs> yeah. in the process. Yeah, who needs legs when you got something to ride? <laughs> yeah, well, facts, good, facts. That's the literally same. the Baron's mindset. Yeah, broke the same leg in five places. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> I don't know. That's crazy, but yeah, I mean, these guys, these driving man, they are they're as badass as it gets. I mean, imagine 100%. mounting one of these guys, and these sandworms are the majestic creatures of the desert, and the fremen are the only ones who developed this technology to ride them. Like, how do you even get onto the worm? Isn't it ten times taller than an average human? Probably more, right? I don't know. I mean, yeah, and really don't the worms bury underground? Like, I don't understand how yeah. it works. Yeah, like, how do they come up for the hook? Yeah, it? like, what are they hooking? I mean, they have still suits, right? So, but I mean, I don't know if the still suits like, with oxygen. The still yeah. suits provide oxygen, right? Because otherwise, it wouldn't be able to trap the moisture. Maybe it's like the strings. They they're above ground. The string goat connects to the worm underground, and they just like ride it like a sled or something. Maybe. Wow. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Like too. yeah, oh. you know those boats where they have like a string attached to the boat, oh, and the boat that, pulls that'd them. That would be a bumpy ride though, and you also well, need, I mean, like a board or something they need below those, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they need right. a sled. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sure they have some sort of technology to do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean. If we're gonna, if Herbert's gonna continue making this analysis of like the sand as water, maybe we'll see some weird like, what do you like, paragliding or something? We're like, you know, like oh. it's get, like a parachute and like fly oh, okay. behind a boat. Oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's another interesting concept. Huh. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I guess of we'll see. Yeah, I mean, but like, maybe. Uh, I mean, the the string, you know, connecting is is a little bit suspicious because the string would have to cut through the sand. And that's, you know, uh, yeah, you, I yeah. mean, we don't know what type of material they have. Though. Yeah, yeah, maybe they have some diamond in a flexible diamond or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crusted <That's> diamond street. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, you, you would need a small loan of a billion dollars for that. It's a good spice could pay for it, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? They probably, honestly, they probably could. Yeah, definitely. Spice yeah. is so expensive. I would think the further you get from Iraq is probably, yeah, exponentially increases in price. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we get to my quote, which I will restate from earlier. And it goes, Men and their works have been a disease on the surface of their planets before now, his father said. Nature tends to compensate for diseases, to remove or encapsulate them, to incorporate them into the system in her own way. Okay, so this quote is just calling out the entire human race. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you constantly see stuff on the news about global warming and how humans are speeding up the process. Yeah. And that's well, true. Well, in like Red recent time, well, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think in I think Mother Nature, in order to balance some of that, like she tried to remove us from the system by sending a pandemic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the bats. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it did help to relieve emissions a bit. Like, yeah, I think it did think, drop it like a couple percentages. Yeah, because yeah, the ozone layer healed healed a bit. I think. Oh really? That's mm -hmm. that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. The one one of the good things to come out from the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, but but in the process, <laughs> it also killed like change. six million people. Yeah, that's the price we pay nowadays. I, yeah. I guess yeah. that's what it takes, guys. Let's do this again, Skinny. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! Uh, I don't know about that one, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, definitely though, we should you know not kill millions of people but we should also help the environment that's that's right what we, need to do. we gotta find more 
less genocidal yeah. way. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, preferably. Right. Okay, so I think I think Herbert really enhances what he just said earlier by following up with this following dialogue, which goes, "You cannot go on forever stealing what you need without regard to those who come after." I think like on Arrakis, it's quite like a simple understanding of this rule, right? You can't continue taking and like not think about the people that come after you. So like, I guess that's why some of the Fremen give up their lives because they gotta think of the people that come after them. So they give them their water, right? So harsh conditions kind of like force the Fremen to live on the bare minimum and to think like that and therefore consider every single consequence their actions make. But like here on earth, like, you know, what we said earlier about like us drinking water while we're reading all this, it's just like so many of us live in relative luxury compared to others around the world. So we're like just like normalized in our wastefulness or like how much we consume and forget the ecological consequences of many of our actions, to be honest. Now, just like dear listeners, I'm not trying to like criticize us on our individual lifestyles or right. for like being a major contributor to climate change because i know that like we do contribute greenhouse gases and like are, we emit them right mm-hmm. but this is like dwarfed and pales in comparison to the greenhouse gas emissions from big corporations but we also must realize that like herbert here is calling everyone to like realize just like to be conscious of each of our lifestyles and how we utilize Earth's limited resources and to work on like maybe finding a more sustainable lifestyle just like Reduce, better, reuse, like, recycle. <laughs> yes, indeed. the three R's, you know. He just wants us to do better for the world. It makes right. him sad as an ecologist. Especially with this background as a ecologist, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're making him sad, guys. <laughs> like, we all Don't make disappoint him sad. Frank Herbert, guys. Yeah. yeah, do your part. Uh-huh. That should be an advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> we got to do our part <laughs> do on Earth part. Day. Not yeah. just, oh no, not just Earth Day. Do it every day. Instead of Uncle every Sam, day. just show a picture of Frank Herbert and then just, you know. Frank we Herbert. want you to reduce <laughs> greenhouse gas emissions. <laughs> Uncle Herbert. Yeah, Uncle but, Herbert. Yeah. But, God, yeah. I'd buy. I'd buy that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, I mean, this this book honestly is slowly devolving into a commentary of modern ecology and, <laughs> and environmentalism. But, uh, but uh-huh. yeah. So that's you know, but it's, it's really interesting to talk about because these are things that need to be discussed, anyways. Right. And, and nowadays, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially like Herbert saw this like coming like from what in the sixties or something. Oh, he but like already that. Already by that time, you know, factors and we we're already screwing up we back then. Already, now we're even much yeah. worse. 60s were already <laughs> now we're really like, terrible. Yeah, now I we're like what 60 years later, and we're even. Worse I mean, that was right after there. World War Two. Yeah, true. So that yeah, was you know some Cold War era. I mean, we already know World War Two caused a lot of environmental yeah, that, issues. <laughs> that's a lot of damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but back to the book, we also like kind of see a glimpse of the Fremen holding Leah in such a high, almost fervent religious regards, because like we see how when like Kynes was doing this like double persona of him and his father, they, like he was in the dialogue discussing how they've worked really hard in kind of fostering this community where even though the Fremen doesn't truly understand like the science behind terraforming the planet, they're not ecologists, let's be honest, but at least they have the unified belief that by working together towards this goal of having green plants on their planet under their guidance of these ecologists they could like reach the paradise they dream of for so long i kind of like enjoy kinds of like generalist ecologist viewpoint here where he doesn't rely on just like heroic actions of him or his father like just them alone but rather like rely on educating the entire fremen population and just like teaching them how to do like small steps because like that's like all it needs, right? All they need to do is like they need to understand that they got to do certain steps. They don't need like a whole science lecture on like why it happens this way. 
as long as they could like get behind the idea, it's good enough for kinds of them. I like the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also really interesting how they are trying to muster the population though, because kinds is acting mm-hmm. as if he's some form of god to the fremen, and he's giving them religious penalties for their quote unquote sins, right? And it's so <laughs> funny. It's so you know, it's not oppressive, but it's really it almost sounds like a cult. Yeah, that's that what I was thinking. The kind cult of, of kinds, does. That's yeah. why I refer to as a water cult. <laughs> yeah, the cult of kinds. We should just refer to the fremen as the cult of kinds. <laughs> the cult yeah. of Liet. Yeah, cult of Liet. True, <laughs> true. But his mm-hmm. kinds and his father are treating the Fremen like their masses, which makes it seem like they don't value the Fremen, but merely are using them to accomplish their own goals and further their own ideas. And I think we should, in future chapters, try to keep an eye out for Kynes and his father's motivations to terraform Arrakis, because as we know, this project is nearly impossible, and so I'm not Without, like, a big really sponsor, sure yeah. why, we decided, why they decided to undertake this specific project. What ties do they have to Arrakis to Kynes and his father just get assigned to Arrakis one day and go, wow, you know, this planet has potential. Let's dedicate our lives to it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think that's... If I live here, I might as well change it. <laughs> yep, right. So, <laughs> so now, like, talking about near impossibility, I wanted to reference this quote from chapter 16. If we can get 3% of the green plant element on Arrakis involved in forming carbon, carbon compounds as foodstuffs, we've started the cyclic system, said Kynes. So now we get another reference to this magic 3% here in this chapter, right? And I think we've probably brought this up, but uh, I have a little more statistics here. So um, imagine how small a percentage 3% seems, but then imagine how big the Earth is, and then it's a really large mm, portion of true. area. Um, so to cover 3% of any planet in vegetation is insane. So everybody, yeah. I'm assuming, is familiar with the Amazon rainforest. So I googled, and the Amazon See. rainforest covers just barely over 1% of earth so imagine generating three (laughs) amazon rainforests from just some sand so three full amazon rainforests so that is time to go home it's not indeed it's we can barely take care of our amazon rainforest how is this gonna happen time to head back into the sieges boys yeah it's just not it's not yeah just might as well give up honestly that's massive three whole amazon rainforests that's basically a whole south africa south america's worth of uh, yeah, I mean, if of, you put it that way, yeah. it's crazy. Like, yeah, so imagine I mean, generating South, right there. Yeah, South America's landmass in uh, South America's landmass of vegetation and having to generate it all, right? Uh-huh. It's, it's, yeah. that's, uh, that's, uh, that's quite, you know, assuming Iraq is as big as Earth, which I think we can assume kind of. That, it just put, that truth. put a whole new perspective. I know, like, right. So that is a really is interesting, yeah. yeah. I was thinking... They kept saying three percent, three percent, and I, I was thinking that's just a small amount. But what the heck? Yeah, so that's yeah. I was like, that's doable. Like, like it's gonna hurt, but it's doable. But now hearing that was like Amazon rainforest level, like uh, I don't think three of them too. Know that. It's insane. <laughs> the current yeah. was big enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So in Kynes' delusion, he finds a moment of clarity, and he realizes that Paul had been the answer to his problem all along. And even his quote-unquote father catches on to him, saying, no more terrible disaster could befall your people than for them to fall in the hands of a hero. Mm, I would disagree. Yeah, Yeah. and and honestly, that part didn't really make much sense to me, because, like, why would you not want a hero? But Mm -hmm. it's that's pretty weird. Right. Also see that Uh... he kinds ordered the Fremen to protect Paul, even if Jessica is killed. So I wonder how much the Fremen know about Paul compared to Kynes, and if they'll also realize that he is their Muad'Dib. Mm-hmm. 
That's true. I think a lot of the Fremen were mentioned to like already see him as the Muad'Dib, but I feel like Kynes was the more skeptical one. So right. I feel like depending on the siege that Paul runs into, he has a bit of hope. But also at the same time, I think the ones that they met, uh, like the I forgot, that was like when Stilgar, right? Stilgar. Right. I feel, I'm I'm not sure how connected like, the sieges are out in the desert because it is a desert and communication is a little scarce out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not really bit. sure. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit, guys. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, that, yeah, that is really interesting. But yeah, he's like contradicting his father's spirit a bit, right? And I think yeah. the only way yeah. for, for Paul to accomplish his goals is if the Fremen support kind of allows him to retake a position of power. And such as you know duke or emperor as we discussed and if only if he plays the cards right can he ascend to such a, a high position so i mean he has a big future and big skills but it's still unclear how he'll you know utilize them right right okay, but even at the same time i'm not really sure how i kind of appreciate the sudden revelation that like kinds is having to depend on paul to save them all because like i don't think it's too realistic to really expect a singular person to fix everything for this entire population and which is why i'm a little confused on what herbert wants to read or to glean from this chapter especially after like we talked about how kinds and his followers working on making the entire population move mm-hmm. forward instead of like a couple of heroes yep. so i just see a little contradictory right now mm-hmm. so i'm just like a little unclear in herbert's like message about like how his how he looks at the theme of ecological awareness yeah mm. right i mean I think we can discuss that probably at the very end. I think we have a short segment on that and also on the purpose of this chapter. But first, let's you know, cover the, the last major plot point, which is the biggest plot point of this chapter. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Sad this part. Okay, so we get to see Kynes' final moments, and it's quite heartbreaking. The description of it goes, he felt the bubble lift him, felt it break, and the dust whirlpool engulf him, dragging him down into cool darkness. For a moment, the sensation of coolness and the moisture were blessed relief. Then, as if, as this planet killed him, it occurred to Kynes that his father and all the other scientists were wrong, that the most persistent principles of the universe were accident and error. Even the hawks could appreciate these facts. No. Wow. What a cruel cool death. Uh, I know. It's the last... I don't know. It's that last stab. <laughs> the at, last part. It's the Aww. last stab at everything that he's been working for. Even the Hawks could appreciate these facts. Oh, you know, yeah. he's just all of those people who believed, you know, but believe that we that it's, it's all not chance and it's all due to our actions and we can make this work. We can make yeah. this work. And it kind of just spits in their face, you know, in his dying words. And mm-hmm. you know, no one's there to witness it, but us as the readers are. And this is something we need to keep in mind because. Right, it's it's really, it's it's really just you know crazy how he's just kind of yeah spits in their face right and it's just it's it's mm. insane yeah yeah I guess kind of just kind of cracked you know like yeah. here he just like he's he's broke mm-hmm. <laughs> just like I'm so like this entire chapter was just like set all up where like kinds like he's dying and we're like sad and then like we get to him like discussing with his father, arguing with his father. And now we're here where he's getting sucked up and then he has a sudden revelation of it's okay to rely on like other people, like Paul, but also like not everything is by chance. It's just like a whole setup of the situational irony this entire chapter to me, it just feels like there's like everything and it swaps the last second. Mm-hmm. Honestly though. <laughs> and it's like, just like, yeah, like 
what is the message of here? Like, I'm so confused right now. There's like no consistency in this universe, no build up on the past and like legacy, just trial and error. And hopefully, they just like continue yeah. wiping clean the slate until you try again, get it right eventually. I don't really know. Like, Kyan's like, he left us on such a bad note. Like, what is this gonna do now? Like, we don't believe in him. And like, what are the Fremen supposed to believe? You know, like, I don't understand. Honestly, though, if I hadn't known what was gonna happen, I would never expect the kinds to go out like this. Yeah, yeah. I was just about <laughs> like, to say, um, and I think now is a perfect segue into our our final discussion of an uh, overview of this chapter because I feel like this chapter needs an overview more than any other chapter to kind of understand what yeah. Herbert's purpose was. So, from what I can understand, this chapter essentially was just an expanded brush up on Iraqi ecology, combined with the death of mm-hmm. one of my personal favorite characters so far. And yeah. and what I've noticed is that recently Herbert has been killing off characters left and right. So, you know, we have six major ones here that I can recall off the top of my head. Forgive me if I miss any, but we have Peter who died, Yue who died in no particular order. So Peter, Yue, Lido, Kynes, Tuak, Idaho, these are all people that have gone. And it's, it's just a massive bloodbath. It's probably the biggest bloodbath I've mm-hmm. ever seen in a book, especially we're still in the the world building plot setting development stages of this book right. we haven't really hit any major conflict right other than and they're all like next to than, each other these chapters other than leto dying but i feel like leto dying still doesn't feel like the major conflict right this is definitely not i mean we're <laughs> only you know, we're not at the climax yeah yeah not even close yeah so it just doesn't feel i mean if major characters start dying in and around the climax and even after the climax that you know, it makes sense from you know, my personal experience, but I just don't have contributed to like the pinnacle, yeah. you know? Yeah, it just it contributes to the glory of the moment. But here's just kind of kind of just dying out in the middle of desert with no one there to support him. And it's just and it, it's so out of place. I feel like I didn't even expect a return to Kynes' point of view um, at the beginning of this mm-hmm. chapter. So I started reading. I was like, wow, this is Kynes. And then I expected him to, you know, hook it with hook himself with his bare hands onto a sandworm or ride into a seat or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like some god, right? Because, but here he just, you know, has a very sad and lonely death. And it's just not... Yeah, it it just doesn't feel fitting in my opinion. Um, so, so that all that aside, I'm really intrigued to see where he goes next because hopefully it's not the death of some a character like Jessica, which was hinted at by Kynes, or the death of Hawat, considering he's still. Yeah, yeah we don't need Jessica. Yeah. We just need Paul. Yeah, so these are, you know, the, <laughs> those are the two, uh, two deaths that are most likely imminent. But I mean, we could literally get any of our characters killed. You know, we could get the the son to Tuvek Jr. or we could get Gurney or killed or some other people oh. like you know other characters and it's just really crazy yeah well I don't think Jessica will die anytime soon because she still needs to give birth to um Paul's sister which will probably That's happen in a couple true. months yeah so at least you know she, she's got a couple yeah. months of plot armor and then her subscription right. runs out she needs to pay another, <laughs> don't worry her free trial for life is now over <laughs> yeah, pay, <laughs> yeah. Pay, pay like one billion dollars to continue yeah <laughs> pay 50 pounds yeah. of spice yeah so it's it's really interesting i feel i mean and honestly this chapter was totally unexpected i didn't really expect anything that happened mm-hmm. in this chapter um i you know makes me look a little bit foolish because i was talking about all our great plans for kinds and where we hope he'd go and then he ended up going to, to death so that's yeah but massive curveball yeah it is what it is um and we'll have to We'll have to see kind of what what happens yeah. from from here on out. Um, because Herbert's been killing characters, one character maybe every three or four chapters. So, right. so we're we'll have to uh, 
Yeah, well, now I'm kind of gotten gone into the groove with this death. So uh, now I'll be anticipating deaths of major characters, right? But mm-hmm. uh, but honestly, I, I kind of like prefer it this chapter. way. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, because I'd rather have a story where they kill off the characters instead of like every like nothing happening and like everybody's just oh like you don't ex- like it's all a feel it's just a feel good story not like nothing really happened. Because I see if, what you mean. Yeah, because yeah. I'd rather have some sort of like disparity, I guess, in a yeah. sense, instead of like just nothing at all. True. Yeah, true. I guess Herbert got like the modern like TV series trope down like 60 years ago, you know, way before the TV series and like, Game of Thrones and everything came out. Yeah, this is really original in idea. In my opinion. solid. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely think so. But it's very jarring coming from Lord of the Rings. And, you know, Tolkien famously wrote a, a little letter to somebody saying, oh, I read Dune and I really didn't like it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but I mean, uh, Tolkien's kind of ideology is good versus evil and you know he talks right. a lot he's about like the, really yeah he, he he's his is a lot about you know good always will have temporary victory over evil and not always like definitely never you know long longitive i don't even know if that's a word like a long-term victory but temporarily oh, yeah, will always be and so. even until the even at the end you know like even like the worst characters will achieve salvation right so kind of that's so coming from that you know it's really jarring to see these characters with no future because they just die right there's no reincarnation or anything yeah it's just they're just dead yeah bye yeah it's just not yeah it's not something i'm used to but i'm always open to new experiences and that's why we're reading this book yeah it's not even written so they have a chance of surviving like they don't it's not like ambiguous their death or their death isn't ambiguous yeah it's, it's, just clear like, cut. it's not just like he he faded away into the sands or something and then yeah and it's it's literally said as his planet killed him <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah it's like... so it's so it's not yeah it's not it's not ambiguous at all it's just the right ambiguity ideology was attacked as well it's just like i was so rough like it wasn't just him dying by himself it was like everything that he worked towards got attacked at the same time yeah so he died everything he believed died with him it's just it's insane he really cracked like i don't understand like i wouldn't be able to handle this like Mm -hmm. my entire life story was like wrong try again they didn't just kill the person they killed the entire character Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's again. I was gonna say the you know Herbert used so much, so many words to build this character, and now he's just gone in six pages. So it's terrible word economy. Yeah, it is. But I mean, <laughs> I, but I mean, I'm not used to it. But I mean, he. I feel like he's been developing characters as symbols, and when he's used the symbol to its fullest extent, he just gets rid of it um, to not clutter up his story, I suppose. But yeah it's yeah i mean but now yeah kinds is just a few bits of sand in the desert now unfortunately he has become one with the spice yeah indeed for real yeah well hopefully he likes it yep on that note um i believe that concludes the discussion for this episode of the do not enter podcast make sure to read to the end of chapter 31 and dune in next time when we discuss it as always thanks to all of you listeners for being patient with us and being interested in our thoughts Follow us on Instagram at do not enter, Reddit, use such do not enter, Twitter at do not enter, and email us at do not enter at gmail.com. That is D U N E N O T E N T E R at gmail.com. Contact us with questions, feedback, or I dare say, okay, whose turn is it? I think it's my uh, turn. All right, go. Yeah. Snotion Rek Korak. 
Hey, backwards. There's wow. Not bad. Not bad. I know. All right. Yeah, but if we made any mistakes, please don't hesitate in letting us know, and we'll gladly fix them and uh, address them in our upcoming episodes. Also, please give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It only takes a few seconds of your time. Just go and make an account, go to our show, and click the five star button. Yeah, because nothing, no other button exists, so you have to of click course, that one. Of right, course. but it does two things one it helps us uh it gives us confidence and motivation to continue making great content for you guys and uh and also helps us get our podcast up the charts so that we can spread our podcast and dune of course to uh, a wider variety of listeners so that would be very much appreciated um otherwise i think that's about it so have a great week and we will see you all back very soon see you guys bye